You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. My name is Dean, the pastor at City Church. Thanks for joining us this morning. Also, hello to everybody uh, who is home watching online or maybe at the beach during the summertime or wherever you might be. We're wrapping up a series today called Certain, uh, where really the goal of the series was to just increase our confidence in God's love for us. Like, I want us all as a church family to be encouraged by the reality that our God loves us, that that really is a deep thought and a deep truth, uh, that our creator loves us. He actually delights in us, we're told, which means he likes us too. Like, the God who loves us also likes his children, but it's important that we just don't understand that sentimentally uh, because sentimentality doesn't necessarily work in the foxhole. We need to understand that biblically that God loves us, theologically that God loves us, that we have this truth from God's word that shows us this story and this action, this over and over again of God's true love for his people. So I hope it's been helpful for you. We spent a lot of time in Romans 8. Uh, we even read it through that this morning as a church family, which I love seeing us do. Uh, this is our conclusion of the series today. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I'm a really bad, like, get-to-sleep person. Like, it just takes me a long time to fall asleep. Uh, I can't get comfortable. You know, I just, like, toss and turn a lot. Um, my, just my personality, my mind's racing a lot. I got things I'm just thinking about, and it's just, I'm just not a great sleeper at all. And you try the remedies, you know. I, I like to make the room as cold as I can and cozy covers and uh, lavender essential oils. I just said out loud, lavender essential oils. Uh, you know, some people take melatonin, you know, all, all those type of things. Anybody else in here have a hard time just falling asleep, just getting to sleep like I do? Yeah, it's just one of those things that, that I, I'm just not very good at. And a lot of people, um, I, I, you know, just people I talk to have similar experiences, it just takes a while to fall asleep. And uh, then you try the home remedies and you try all the things they tell you to do to increase your sleep. You know, some of you might even be on a prescription drug to help you sleep, whatever it takes, you know, to help us try to fall asleep at a decent time. Uh, but my hope for us is that while a lot of other things might prevent us from falling asleep quickly, such as just not being comfortable, thinking about work tomorrow, uh, maybe just being wound up from watching a scary movie or, or whatever it might be, thinking about how you have to get up early. That's one for me. Like if I don't have to, I have to get up really early the next morning like to catch a flight like at 6 a.m. or something like that, I think about it all night. and <laughs> It prevents me from falling asleep. But I hope what never, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, what never keeps you up at night is where you stand with God. I hope what never keeps you awake and keeps you tossing and turning is anxiety or any kind of fear concerning where you stand with your God. Because the Bible gives us over and over again the truth that God wants us to know through his spoken word that for the Christian, our standing with God should never be a worry, an anxious thought, or a concern of ours. Now, to be fair and hopefully to be loving, because I think it's very unloving to not say this, if you are not a Christian or you're not sure, I do hope you stay awake at night wondering where you stand with God. That's an appropriate reason to be tossing and turning. But if you're in Christ, that should never be a reason why it takes you a while to fall asleep. We read this earlier as a church, for I am persuaded, Romans 8, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, he's given this exhaustive list, nor things present, nor things to come, past, present, future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and then he mentions that one little line in there in case he leaves anything out, nor any other created thing, none of it will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
One of our church members, Mike Crouch, a few weeks ago, we read this text, uh, pointed out to me in between services. He says, man, that part that says not nor any other creative thing. I was like, yeah, isn't that amazing? He just kind of covers it all. He goes, yeah, but it's more than that. I said, oh yeah, what's that? He said, nor any other created thing. He goes, we're a created thing. Like us, people. Even ourselves, we, in our failures, in our doubts, in our struggles, even ourselves, we can't separate God's love from us. Like we can't even make it happen. So the past can't, the present can't, the future can't, the powers can't, and we ourselves can't even separate us from the love of God. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 6, we'll spend a little bit of time this morning. Jesus said this, that everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. I will never cast out. My friend Matt Smethurst uh, broke it down like this, and I think it's helpful to break down a verse. Uh, let's put it on the screen. We're going to leave it up there uh, just for a minute or so as we work through it. He says, all that all the Father gives me, that's our election, that God has always had a people. You read the Old Testament, the Jewish people, Israel, are called God's chosen people. Uh, God chose them in, in his grace. Uh, now God has a people called the church. All that the Father gives me, we're the bride of Christ. We are, we are given by the Father to the Son. He says, all his people will come to me. That's our effectual calling. God calls us to himself. He brings us to himself. He draws us to himself. And he says, and whoever comes to me, this is human responsibility, We have to actually go to Jesus by faith. We repent of our sins. We follow Christ by our own will, right? We choose to do that. I will never cast out, which is our eternal security. Please keep it up there just for a minute. I mean, we have some of the most essential, I shouldn't say most, I would say just amazing, mind-blowing, awe-inspiring doctrines of the Christian faith in one small text just like that. We see that everyone that God gives, that God gives a people, that all his people are going to come to him. Like God is going to not waste his calling upon our lives. And whoever comes to me, that we actually do that action, we go to Christ, he's never ever going to allow to be cast out. How incredible is that? So much packed in one little verse. But Jesus keeps going. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In other words, this is why Christmas happened. This is why I have come. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose none of those that he has given me. The ones he just described in the verse we just broke down, that he will lose none of those, but should raise them up on the last day. That that is guaranteed for us, that it is God's will that all who are brought to Christ, that are called to Christ, that none of those people will ever be lost. When Jesus said, I will never cast them out. He's carrying out the will of why he came in the first place. And then he tells us again, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life. That every person who becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, who is drawn to him, who goes to him by faith and repentance, I will raise him up on the last day. We're told we are risen with Christ, and that is true right now, spiritually speaking, but we're also promised that one day we will ultimately be raised with Christ in the ultimate resurrection. Paul put it like this, basically just summarize what Jesus said. He said, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, God begins the process, election, calling, 
He says, who started a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That God started it, God carries you through, and God is the one who finishes the work he does with us. Do you see why theology matters so much? Because it gives us assurance of where we stand with God. That we have biblical evidence, the storyline, over and over again from the scriptures, that God is the one who brought about our salvation, and therefore God is the one who will carry our salvation. Meaning, take a deep breath, which I kind of need to do. Take a deep breath. It's not up to you. It's in God's hands. So if you lay in bed at night going, have I been good enough today? If you lay in bed at night going, did I maybe lose my standing with God today? Is what's been going on in my life, my marriage, my parenting, my work, my choices, my lifestyle, has it forfeited the Christianity that I claim, and what we're told in the scriptures right here is that I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you could lose your salvation, you would have by now. You would have by now. You probably would have lost on the way here this morning. You would definitely lose it in the Trader Joe parking lot every, whenever you go to Starbucks in the afternoon trying to get in or get out. If you could lose your salvation, you would have by now. Thankfully, it's in God's hands and not our own. The question we need to ask is, well, then how do I know? Like, okay, like, I get it that, that we belong to God, that Jesus said we won't be cast out, that we are his chosen people, his called people, that we've responded like, in that free will of, of going to Jesus, and then he keeps us forever. Okay, yes, how do I know I'm one of those people? Like, how do I know I'm in when it comes to that? But like, I get what it means, but how do, like, am I included? Like, am I invited to that party? Well, like, how do I know? Like, I want to make sure that, like, when I show up somewhere that, like, and think I'm a Christian in heaven that, like, that I actually can get in, right? Not, not that that happens, but if that was the case, like, am I in or am I out? How, how do I know? And the answer is that, well, God wants us to know, and it comes through two things, faith and repentance. It comes through two things. God does not want to be a mystery. Oftentimes, when there's confusion amongst people, it usually be traced back to miscommunication, Right, I meant this, or I thought you said this. Just a failure to communicate. So many problems are that way. Uh, so from work issues, to at home issues, friend issues, just a failure to communicate. So oftentimes is why communication happens. And when that sets in and isn't solved, and we jump to conclusions that aren't true, and it can surely cause a lot of a mess. Well, with God, there is no miscommunication. There is no failure to communicate where we stand with him. We're told in 1 John that he wrote these things so we may know that we're in the faith. We may know we have eternal life. He doesn't want there. There's no unsolved mysteries here when it comes to where we stand with God if we are in Christ. Faith and repentance. Speaking of unsolved mysteries, anybody ever watched that show growing up, Unsolved Mysteries on like Lifetime reruns? Isn't every mystery unsolved? Just want to throw that out there. Okay, carry on. I've just been thinking about that lately. Like, I've always thought it was a strange name for a title. That was free. We'll talk about it later. Uh, but faith and repentance. Here's what Sinclair Ferguson says. He says, high degrees of Christian assurance are simply not compatible with low levels of obedience. Now this might sound like a drastic contradiction to what Bush has been talking about. Our salvation is in God's hands, not our own, so then why are we talking about obedience and following Christ and, and holiness and repenting of sin if it's not up to us? Here's what Jesus has to say about that. He says, the one who keeps my commands, excuse me, who has my commands, which we do, We've been given God's word and keeps them is the one who loves me. Like that's how I know. Verse 23 of that chapter, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 
My father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but is from the father who sent me. This is how we know, he's saying, that you love God, that you understand God's love for you, is that you're not trying to find it in other places. When I sin and when you sin, usually it's looking for love in places where it's never meant to be found. It's believing the lies in order to be gained by disobeying God and there is to be gained by obeying him. It's believing the lie that to go around God, not to him for all the things I'm looking for in my life. But when I understand God's love for me, I'm going to love him back. And how does God say we love him back? By keeping his word, by keeping his commandments. We could say that when I sin, when I wander away from God, it's because I'm having a problem understanding actually where love comes from. I'm having a gospel problem. He says, I have spoken these things to you, I'll remain with you. And verse 26 is really important. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. He said, if I really get that God loves me, then I'm going to love him. I'm not going to settle for lesser loves. Thankfully, God doesn't, though, leave me alone to figure out how to do that. He gives us the scriptures, his word, and the Holy Spirit to guide us, to direct us. In other words, he doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't leave us to figure this out on our own. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us to interpret the scriptures, to understand the Bible, so we can be empowered to follow the Lord. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter, just, or John 15, just the next chapter over. He says, my father's glorified by this. Like, here's how you worship God. Do you want to know how God receives worship? How he receives glory? He goes, you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So we can understand how the Bible's not contradicting itself. If he's not saying that our actions are command keeping, our ability to follow Jesus driven by the Spirit, that that is how we attain salvation. He's saying it's the proof that we have it. It's the evidence that we have it. If uh, you're new here, it'll be the first time you've heard this story, but I've told it several times. It's just I'm a simple guy and it makes simple sense. My grandfather had a grapefruit tree, two of them, in his backyard when we were growing up and down in Fort Lauderdale. And we used to climb them and help them pick them and all those things. And there's only one way I knew those were grapefruit trees. I have no green thumb whatsoever. I don't know anything about trees. I love being inside. Uh, I think that the person who, uh, if there was a such thing as getting into heaven automatically, it'd be the guy who created air conditioning. Uh, so I'm for that person. I, I know nothing about trees, nothing about outdoor stuff. It's just not my scene. But I knew for a fact that those trees in my grandpa's backyard were grapefruit trees. You know how I knew that? This is the most simple truth you'll ever hear. They had grapefruits on them. That's how I knew. What is the evidence that we were in Christ? What are the evidence that our lives have been changed? What is the evidence that we understand that God loves us? He says is that we produce much fruit, our actions, our lifestyles, and prove to be his disciples. What's happening here is the evidence of how I know I'm a part of God's people. What I believe to be true by faith that I receive Christ as the Messiah, and then I repent of my sins, and I bear fruit. Lots of different states have nicknames. Florida's the Sunshine State, which is weirder in the summer because it rains every day for like four hours, or the Sunshine State. Texas is the Lone Star State. Georgia is the Peach State, which they think is cool. I'm like, congratulations, so does 
Publix has peaches too, good job. Uh, they're the peach state. The scriptures want us to basically be people from Missouri, which is known as the show me state. That if you claim to have faith in Christ, if you claim to be a Christian, if you're someone whose sins have been forgiven, show me. And the way you show me, and you can be certain of your salvation, it's not that you're perfect, but there's evidence in your life of daily repentance and life change that rather than be defensive, you're, you're almost desperate for God's word, to him to work in your life. You're more concerned about God, the fact that God already knows and you are other people finding out about what's going on in your life. That there's a constant lifestyle of repentance. So there's three main things I want to leave with you from this series that I hope has been helpful for you. If you haven't been here, I'd love for you to go back and listen on iTunes or go to our website and watch the video. The first thing is a confidence in God's love for me. I want you all to say that like on your own, like while you're driving. I have a confidence in God's love for me. I don't wish it. I think there can be feelings of it, but it's not just that I feel it, because feelings can come and go. I'm certain of it. But like, I know that God loves me because of what his word says. I know that God loves me because of what he tells us Jesus accomplished for me. That Jesus died a death that I deserved. That in my place condemned he stood. That this is how we understand love. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That I know I can trust him because three days later he rose from the grave. Like, like I'm confident in God's love for me. When, God said, when Jesus said, I, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, like, like, I know what that means. I might not be a theologian, but I believe the Bible when it says that Jesus Christ died for my sins. That I'm confident in God's love for me and that it doesn't change. That our feelings change all the time. His for you don't. Because it's based on your status with him that's been purchased by the blood of his son. You've been risen to a new life a confidence in God's love for me. I want us to have that, a true confidence. Like, yes, even you. Like, even you and even me. Because it's so easy to, to really listen to the, I guess, listen to the noise out there. Sometimes it comes in our heads that I'm not worthy enough. Everybody but me. I shouldn't be going to church because these things I haven't gotten straight in my life. That's anti-gospel. That's anti-God's love. That God has taken you where you are and now he's changing you. He's changing you through the power of the Holy Spirit and be confident that he loves you. The second thing is to have a certainty with where I stand with God. This should not keep you up at night if you're a Christian. You should not toss and turn worrying about where you stand with God because what you're basically saying without even meaning to is that Jesus' death was not sufficient enough. That didn't really accomplish what he said he claimed to accomplish. That you are now in Christ, you are with him. You have a certainty. Let's go back to Romans 8. He has made these amazing truths about what God's done for us. In verse 30, he says that we've been predestined and called and justified, meaning declared not guilty of our sins by God because Jesus was declared guilty instead, even though he was innocent. It says one day we'll be glorified. And the question he asks is, what then are we to say about these things? How do we respond to that? How do we respond to that kind of news? If God's for us, which we've just been told he clearly is, then who is against us? If anyone is against us, who cares? Why does it matter if God's for me? And here's how much he is for you. He didn't even spare his own son. He gave him up for us all. We not also with us, with him grant us everything? Everything that's Christ has now promised to us that we will be with him for all eternity and glory? 
So he asked another question, who, who can bring an accusation against God's elect, against God's people? If God's declared this, he says God's the one who justifies. God is the one who gave the verdict. And God says you are not guilty before him if you are in Christ. The blood of Jesus purchased, purchased you back to a right relationship with God that was broken before because of our sin and rebellion against him. He says, if all that is true, then who can bring an accusation against us? Because God's already sealed the deal. It's like, who's the one who condemns? I mean, Jesus is the one who died. He was condemned for us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because, but even more, he has been, he is raised. He also, at the right hand of God, intercedes for us. That Jesus is working on our behalf right this second. He worked on our behalf in the past when he died for us, but he's ministering right now for us on our behalf. The mediator between God and man interceding for us. So the only logical conclusion based on all this rich theological truth is who can separate us from the love of Christ? Now if those things aren't true, we could probably give a lot of answers. My failures. You can just go through the list again. If none of that is true, then a lot of things can separate us from God's love. But if all those things are true, nothing can separate us from God's love. Because it's not just felt, it's been given. And we didn't love him first, but he loved us. I love this quote from Dane Ortland, probably one of my favorite quotes ever. It was a little dramatic, but I think it really is. For, for God to de-resurrect you, and we're told we've been raised with Christ, to bring his rich mercy to an end, Jesus Christ himself would have to be sucked down out of heaven and put back in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, you're that safe. Like, that's how safe you are. Be confident in your standing with God. Be confident in that. Again, if you are in Christ. If you're depending on your own works to forgive your sins, to have more good deeds than bad at the end of your life, if you're based on just your sincerity, being from a good family, whatever it might be, then you should have no confidence. Because guess what? It's up to you. So have I done enough? Have I done enough? But if it's up to God, then number three is going to happen in my life. I'm going to have a commitment to follow the one who's committed to me. I'm going to have a commitment to follow the one who's committed to me. Romans chapter two says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God's commitment to us should drive our commitment to him. And if it doesn't, then we don't understand his commitment to us. Like, that's the conclusion. So I want to be somebody who realizes that God's commitment to me, is his his fathering of me, over me, is not with a sledgehammer. It's not with a checklist of do's and don'ts. It's not with a past record of my mistakes. It's done with grace. And it's done with love. And it's done with security. So I don't want to live in fear. I don't live in fear of where I stand with God. I don't want to live in fear of others' opinions and accusations of me. I don't want to be someone who thinks the worst thing in the world is somebody else finding out that I'm not perfect. For a lot of Christians, that's, our, that's their biggest fear. More concerned with what others think than the fact that God already knows. I don't want to be that person because I know of God's love for me. I'm confident in that. I also don't want to fear the times we're in. If I'm certain of where I stand with God, it's okay to be uncertain about other things. If I, if I know and I'm certain of where I stand with God, then it's okay if I'm uncertain about other stuff. 
And don't get me wrong, as a human being, I'd like to know about other things. I don't like feeling uncertain about things, but I can be uncertain about things because I know where I stand with God and I'm certain of that. You aren't good enough on your best day to earn God's grace. But praise Jesus, you aren't bad enough on your worst day to lose it. You aren't good enough on your best day. The only thing you contributed to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. Praise God for that. It's by grace you've been saved, not through works so no one can boast. And because of that, on your worst day, you can't lose that grace from God. So let's be a certain people. And because we're a certain people, let us be an obedient people to God's word and the love that actually never runs out or never fails. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word that you've given us. We're thankful that we can have certainty. How incredible, what an act of grace that you don't leave your people to wonder. That you don't leave us laying in bed at night trying to figure out if we've measured up enough. That you don't even leave us at funerals of loved ones who know you wondering where they are right now. That you've given us a way that we can know through your word that no one can bring an accusation against your people because you're the one who justifies. And since you have declared us righteous, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I ask we live our lives with that knowledge, with believing that in our hearts and our minds, that it'll lead us also to an urgency to make your name known to others. We want our friends and family to know this amazing truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So for those who have been adopted by you, who are called your sons and daughters, who can call you father, Lord, we ask that you, by your grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives, allow us to be people who really do believe that your love is better than any other secondary or counterfeit love that this world has to offer. Your kindness, let it lead us to repentance. Lord, we thank you for certainty that you wrote these things so we may know that we have eternal life. What a gift. We thank you for all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's stand together and sing some good news. Thanks for being here with us this morning.